Welcome to Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth, a show about markets, investing, and financial planning. Join us as we cover current events that are in the news and answer top of mind questions from our listeners. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. This audio may contain statements that may be deemed as forward-looking. Any such statements are not guarantees of future performance and actual results may differ from those projected. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, tax, or other professional services. Welcome everyone to episode 14 of Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth. This is our second episode of the new year and we are excited to chat through what's going on in markets right now. We're going to expand a little bit more on some 2023 just high level predictions is how likes to say predictions sure to be wrong. Um, we are actually excited to put these down and then review them at the end of the year for you. And uh, uh, anyway, I think that'll be an interesting conversation. And then a couple other things. So before we get started here, Hal, let me kick it over to you. How are things? What's up, Chris? Things are going pretty well. Pretty good start to the year, too. I know we've had, what, one episode this year, 2023? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific on uh, January 20th. The market is higher. Right? Are you shocked by that? Uh, not necessarily. Or at this point, I, should you be shocked? I, I mean, last year was down kind of all year. Yeah. And it generally doesn't go down forever. And I think the market is feeling like we're closer to the end of the tunnel than the than the middle or the beginning. So I, I, you know, I think they're starting to look positively and saying, we'll get through this. Oh, yeah? Have you bought eggs lately? Have you seen the prices? <laughs> <laughs> I have bought eggs lately. I feel like the last time I remember they went down by like 50 cents. But I think you're telling me that's not true anymore. Well, I'm just highlighting what the what headlines are showing right what the media is really focusing on mm-hmm. sure eggs are expensive that's because of the avian flu but one how many eggs are you really buying unless you're a restaurant or a baker or or someone who's using tons of eggs or like a weightlifter or something like that but let's say yeah eggs are four dollars <laughs> a carton what were they before does anyone remember how much of your net worth are going to eggs, even if they triple in price, right? It's all about scale with, with the way I think of things. Um, yeah, it sucks to pay more than what you think something's worth, but the media really has a way of driving the, the, the wedge home because where you're spending more in eggs, I'm pretty sure you're saving in gas. Because the last time I checked, gas prices have been down since July of last year. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, unless your gas budget isn't the same as your egg budget so dip into that gas jar put some into the egg jar and then you're probably still out ahead unless again unless you're a weightlifter who eats 24 eggs a day but it's good perspective right because the things that inflate more or less are are it's a weighted average it's how much money you actually spend in that thing and if that thing consumes a thousand dollars a month for you and it goes up by 20 percent that's a that's a big clip but yeah. if the thing that is, you know, fifteen dollars a month goes up by twenty percent, that's not, yeah, not nearly as much. Let's say you bought a truck in twenty twenty two, and yeah. it was a thousand dollar payment, and you're going to complain about eggs. Okay, it's a little bit of perspective, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that truck is costing you more in gas if it's diesel, or unleaded, 
than mm-hmm. any amount of eggs that you're probably buying, even if they increase in price like mm-hmm. they have. And again, yeah, perspective, right? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's why I started with the how eggs are killing our wallets. I'll come back to you. I'll uh, I'll send you a message this weekend because I know we got to buy some eggs. So I'll let uh, well, you know. I can guarantee no one no one really remembered what what the the price of eggs were before before now before they read the headlines or started paying attention. Eggs are eggs too, right? I mean, if you're going to eat eggs, you buy eggs. Yeah. Versus you might say, oh, I, I normally eat beef, and beef has gone up, so I'm going to switch to chicken, or I'm going to switch to pork. Or in the veggie world, I've complained about the pl- price of cauliflower, so. I've stopped buying it. I buy broccoli now or, you know, whatever. Right. Whereas if you asked me a year ago, I would kind of alternate, rotate, whatever. So I think if you have many, many options for say a vegetable, you might pivot what you're buying, but there's kind of no substitute for eggs if you're going to eat eggs. Yeah. Yeah. But I I think it's more of like this new cycles version of gas prices going Mm -hmm. up, right? Mm -hmm. Now that gas Mm -hmm. price is going down, the, the media doesn't have much to say about it. That would generate clicks or attention. Yeah. No one cares. Yeah. 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 It's funny. I was filling up at Costco the other day and it was I don't know, three something. And I was like, Oh, it's under four. And, and I mentioned it to the guy, you know, there's like a person walking at Costco, just helping people or whatever, like an attendant. Really? And, uh, yeah. Uh, Our Costco like doesn't you, have that. Yeah. Well, like if your membership card doesn't work or something and, 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 you know, they want to get, you out of the line. And so like, I've had <laughs> yeah. that issue before where, uh, I, I swiped my membership card doesn't work. So it doesn't let me buy. And I'm like, Hey, my card doesn't work. And he's like, he just swipes his own or whatever. And then it works. So, um, anyway, so I was just, he was walking by and I, I was like, yeah, it's under four bucks. And he's like, yeah. And all of a sudden we're having this conversation about how great gas prices are. And I'm just kind of looking around and everybody's smiling as they're filling up their tanks. Like, this is interesting. <laughs> and so to your point, that's not in the, in the news. And so we all sort of find out about it when we roll up to the pump on empty and we're like, Oh, what's it going to take me for today? Because the media, you know, you, if you just followed the headlines, you would just think that it only goes up and never goes down. Yeah. Yeah. On average, uh, the, the average American spends about 3% of their income, monthly income on gas, which mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's a lot more than, any amount of eggs you can eat, the eggs would have to quintuple or yeah, yeah, ten x. Do you know what percentage of income is spent on food in general? Uh, I don't know. Actually, it's a good question. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's shift gears. So we wanted to do a quick review of market vitals on what's going on right now to give everybody an update. Eggs. Eggs is number one. <laughs> yeah. Um, number two is layoffs. So this has been top of news for a while and big tech is all over the news right now with layoffs. So Microsoft laying off four and a half percent of their workforce, uh, Amazon, uh, Google meta meta being the largest one laying off 13% of big tech. And then you've got big ish tech Salesforce laying off 10%. And then you've got small tech. Coinbase, for example, I just saw in the news laying off 20%. I think that's their second layoff as well. And um, what's interesting about these things is that these numbers are all over the news, but these these total amounts of layoffs are actually quite small relative to the number of employees. Coinbase at 20%, you know, what sounds bigger, 20% or 950 people? 20%. Yeah. Uh, it's only 950 people that they're laying off. 
Microsoft's laying off 10,000 people. Okay, that's not small. But if you look at the hiring trajectory of these companies, I was looking at this right before we, we hopped onto here, and I pulled up Google's numbers. So Google had, in 2021, 156,500 employees. And uh, according to Yahoo Finance, as of, I don't know, today or whenever this is updated, maybe last quarter, they had 186,000 employees. So you're telling me that there are 30,000 employees more over the course of the year, and now they're reducing by 12,000 of those. Sure. So we're really just rolling back maybe four to six to, at the most, nine months for a lot of these big tech companies. So I just wanted to put that in perspective that in the news it's saying layoffs, but this is not like these companies are dramatically shrinking. They're really just sort of rolling back by a number of months in terms of their hiring. Yeah, well, even with that, yeah, we, we focus on the numbers. And if you're impacted by this, this is um, pretty stressful time. But on the flip side, you are most likely pretty marketable. These are very, very reputable firms or companies. And they have the smartest people in the world working with them. And if you were part of that fraternity, yeah, congratulations. But yeah, we're, we're sorry if it is, it is you. Um, but yeah, yeah, we, we think layoffs are never fun, but for the, the health of the, the company, they had, they, a lot of them had to lean out, had to start trimming. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the unfortunate part to the employees is that the, the, there, there the are company, lies those numbers. Yeah. Yep. And the company and the boards, they, they have to, they have a fiduciary obligation to the company to keep the company healthy. And I think the hardest part of this is you look at a company like Microsoft that is unbelievably profitable. Like, why are they getting rid of 10,000 people? They can easily afford to pay all these people. Uh, but if their profit margins are getting squeezed due to slowing revenues or hiring faster than the, yep. than the actual demand has, has needed, they have to then go back and report to Wall Street and say, hey, we, we feel this is in the best interest of the company because of this reason. So I think the, the takeaway here, and I don't want to downplay anybody that is getting laid off. My hope is to provide just perspective on the sheer numbers from a company standpoint. Uh, if you are laid off, know that this is not about you. This is about what the board is trying to do to keep the company happy with Wall Street, to make earnings, to this, so, you know, get those negative thoughts out of your head of it was me. Um, it was it was the team that they decided to eliminate and you know your name happened to be on that team uh, the other piece is that from everything that we've read these companies are offering very good severance to to their employees and my my I don't know, my ask or my I don't know if I can say advice I guess my thought is take a quick review of your finances and determine if you can take some time we all just went through the craziest last couple of years of our lives where we used to go into an office. We used to have lunch with our coworkers. We might go right home. We might go play soccer on a soccer field that's close to work, maybe even on the Microsoft campus, for example. And none of that's happened in the last couple of years. And I think just, God, everybody deserves a break. So if you can just take quick stock of your finances, look at what your severance is, go on, go apply for unemployment. It's there for this reason and see if you can just take a couple of months 
to determine what's next, I think you will never regret that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're in the engineer role, they're probably going to be so many headhunters, you know, ringing, ringing you, DMing you. Um, I would, I would take Chris's advice and take some unwind time, whether it's two months, three months, even four months, depending on finances, mm-hmm. to just take a the distressor and and reassess what you want, because it, versus stepping into the next role that's open. Because I'm pretty sure that companies downstream that are still very good to work for are looking for highly qualified tech engineers or tech workers that, yeah, there might be four or five job openings for every laid off person right now. And we're, we're in that weird labor market where the big tech companies are probably the first to shed. Mm-hmm. And uh, they hoarded so much in the last few years that normal companies, right? Not the superstar companies, admittedly, but the normal companies that are still great couldn't, couldn't attract enough uh, good employees. And I think it's their chance to grab some really, really good stars here. No question. No question. Yeah. Take time, you know, see what you want to do. And maybe it's a time for a, for a pivot to a different type of company. Yeah. Uh, You know, maybe you've always wanted to do a startup and, and you, you, you know, this is the opportunity to do it. Um, Startups are probably hiring less than the big companies just because they're usually funded by you know, money losing businesses. So they've had to pull back a lot as well, Yeah. but there are ones out there that are cash flow positive and are making money. And, you know, maybe it's the opportunity to kind of collect, collect your thoughts and say, Hey, this is something I've always wanted to do. Um, and make no mistake. Some of the best companies in history have been born out of bad economic times. And so if you, you know, it is risky joining a company that could completely go under, but, um, you know, if that company does make it through and has a viable product, um, that company could be the next Amazon or the next Google. It's not a prediction. This is just a, a, a you know historical <laughs> viewpoint of yeah. of how things tend to work. So again, take time, um, try to not go apply right away, and know that you're highly, highly, highly marketable, and will continue to be in the future. Yeah, yeah, and again, we we we, we empathize, and we, you know. If, if you're a client of ours, that's impacted, let us know and, you know, we can help. Okay. Related to this. So there's a number of leases not getting, getting renewed. So Amazon's not release, not renewing a lease in downtown Seattle. Uh, for those that are at Amazon, it's the port 99 building. And so, uh, you probably met me in that building a bunch of times pre COVID and, uh, not anymore. They're, they're not renewing their lease. No surprise. That was one of the ones that they leased, not owned. You know, they own the South Lake Union campus. So they're trying to consolidate all down there. But uh, also their comments on it were, we're just reflecting how our workforce works now. You know, we don't need as much of a footprint. Um, this was in the news a while ago, but they've more or less paused. I believe it is five buildings in the Bellevue area. So you still have a footprint in Bellevue. This is Amazon still, but they've paused a number of buildings that they they were having built for them. So they're dramatically pulling back. Microsoft is not renewing, renewing a lease in Bellevue. Uh, it's the city center building. So if you've met me there before, uh, there's a great coffee shop in that building, by the way, called Anchorhead Coffee. Love that coffee shop. Uh, and unfortunately, they'll probably have to close their doors if they can't renew this lease quickly. But uh, Microsoft's been in this building forever and they're not renewing their lease. It is also 
up for, um, we'll see in the next couple of weeks if they determine this or not, but the, uh, uh, Lincoln or sorry, the Lincoln, Lincoln square building, the one where way, way back in the day used to be MSNBC, that one's not getting renewed. And then, um, the Bravern towers so far, they haven't announced, so they might keep those. My hunch is that they're going to consolidate everything back to Redmond, but that's just some interesting news. And then lastly, Facebook, uh, or meta is not taking their spring Hill building. Uh, they're subletting it. So sort of interesting that they were going to build out another engineering center there on the Bellevue side, potentially bring a lot of life to, to the spring district. They bought that building from REI. Those that have, have followed mm. the news for a couple of years, REI built it as their headquarters. And then everybody at REI started working remotely. And uh, I think that building became worth a lot of money. And REI said, wait a minute, why don't we just sell this thing and, and bring the profits, you know, back into the company. And they moved what if their REI buys it back and makes it an actual REI store. It's huge. So that would be, that would be <laughs> quite an REI store, but, but yeah. Uh, and I think they moved their headquarters to Tukwila or something. So they went back to a, or not back to, but to a lower cost area and, and, you know, pocketed the difference. So anyway, just some interesting news on how tech companies are, are pulling back on their leases here. Well, yeah, what started off as a joke, it kind of feels like a, the mall model where they mm -hmm. have to repurpose and change their uh, retail experience to more of a experience experience, mm -hmm. right? Our local mall built a theater and a karaoke arcade place mm -hmm. where Sears used to be. Like, what are these campuses going to turn into? Because it seems like mega offices and uh, campuses don't seem to be at least in vogue right now. I don't know if it's a, it, it was ever a fad because I think there was a lot of success from Google, Microsoft, and Amazon doing this mind-melding, right, where yeah. you get a bunch of smart people in a room, you're going to probably get a lot of smart outcomes. But with this post-COVID world, I, is that even – that much space even needed for any one company? I think it's interesting because a lot of companies in the news recently are calling employees back. Salesforce just made the news on this. Salesforce, yeah. by the way, laying off 10%, yeah. 8,000 people. And they said very publicly, hey, our new people that are young are not productive. We need to get them back in the office. And that's not a bad thing, right? Let's, let's get back in the office. It is actually shown that if you are in the office more and you are seen, you're more likely to get promoted. So I think for a lot of young people that are, are you know, just starting out and, and wanting to prove themselves at a lot of these big companies, yeah, you got to be seen in the elevator. And, and, you know, it's, it's good for, for meeting other colleagues and, and switching teams or, you know, whatever you might want to do. So I think the future of this will be pretty interesting to play out over the next couple of years is, you know, yeah, I think the footprint is less because you don't need all the employees at the office at every, every day, but maybe it's once two days a week, once three days a week, and these teams just switch. And to me, I just look at it as, well, Actually, we have less real estate for more employees, and we actually have a more profitable real estate portfolio because we can service, say, 50% more or 100% more employees with the same campus level. So I think long term, this actually becomes a really good thing for all companies that have office space because they don't need it five days a week. But we'll see. We'll see how we go. Yeah, a, lot, uh, a lot will unfold. Quite a few years ago, I interviewed at Google. I was lucky enough to get an interview. I did sign an NDA, so I can't say what was in there. But... Their campus, and this was like the, the satellite campus in the San Jose area uh -huh. that had so many meeting spaces in very creative ways. You could tell they were encouraging 
really smart people to sit face to face to each other, right? There, mm-hmm. So there was like a little mock beach and uh, volleyball area, mm-hmm. but it had all these these seats dotted, but they were all facing each other, obviously for a meeting area. Mm-hmm. There were uh, swings that were facing each other, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, you can fidget and still talk to someone with 200 IQ across from you and you mm-hmm. develop something really awesome for Google. I think, I think a lot of success has been born from that mm-hmm. versus through video where, you know, admittedly I have a TV on, I have dogs mm-hmm. in the background, I have other screens up and I'm not a hundred, 110% there. Mm-hmm. And I think when you physically get people, I think that's one of the biggest benefits is, is that mind melting? It's the camaraderie, the the social aspects of it that that spur, you know, innovation. Yeah. So we'll just see. You know, I think commercial real estate's in for a bit of a a bump yeah. because they're going to see a lot of leases not not get renewed. I think that has a trickle down effect of the restaurants and the coffee shops and the stores and all the stuff that's downtown. If there's no reason to go downtown, the Nike store in Seattle just announced that it's closing. That's the only Nike store in the area, right? So like, this is a big deal. Now, I think in part, they probably closed because of some of the violence and things. I mean, every time there was going to be a protest in downtown Seattle, they were the first to board up all their windows. So, okay, yeah. there might be something else going on there. But uh, what was the last you know, time you bought shoes in person? Uh, a long time. I'm trying to remember. It, I can't remember. It's probably been a decade for me, more. We actually just, so related, we actually just bought some, uh, like snow boots, you know, cause it, it, you know, it snows here once a year and he, I, I, I'm one of those people that doesn't actually have snow boots. So finally did it. They were on sale. Great. And, uh, one of the downsides of online shopping is that we have like a store worth of boots downstairs because we have two different sizes for the three different boots that we ordered. And so, you know, the company pays to ship us, you know, 10 sets of boots, try them all on. And we're going to send nine back or eight back or whatever. Right. And it's, it's like, gosh, you know, I'm sure it maths out just like the, the, the credit union model that says, or the online bank model that says, we're not going to charge you any fees for your ATM card. And it maths out because if they don't have brick and mortar costs, they yep. can pay for all your ATM costs. So, it, you know, if, if say Nike doesn't have any brick and mortar costs, they can pay to ship back and forth and have all this inventory out. Um, you know, that that's going to get returned, but yeah, that's the downside in my mind of online shopping is Carbon footprint it, goes way up though. Goes, goes way up. Yeah. And, and then, and then I have to sit with it on a credit card for 10 days or 20 days or whatever, and then ship it back. And it's just, it's a pain, right? Whereas if I just <laughs> literally went to the store one trip, yeah, I'd buy one thing <laughs> and I would come home. Yeah. It's weird. So, right? It is weird. It is weird. Okay. Next item we had was the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling is in the news a lot today, yesterday, this week, because we officially hit it on Thursday. So how, what is the debt ceiling? Why did we hit it? We seem to hit it all the time. What does this mean? Yeah. The debt ceiling seems to be an artificial political game. Um, and we, we try to be unbiased here, but this one is obviously, um, created by Republicans or more enabled by Republicans where you get a democratic president, Republicans play their one, one of their few cards that they have left. Cause they don't really appeal to the majority of Americans at this point. 
but they they basically set a limit for the U.S. credit card, which, sure, spending here and there might be out of control, but where, where do you cut spending from, right? Do you cut it from the biggest portion of our spending, military? Or do you cut it from Social Security, the other big part? Social Security is actually money that money that you and I paid into, so we're entitled to it. Uh, mm-hmm. Military is tax money. So where do you cut from? I don't know. And if you're not cutting, you got to keep spending to keep the government or the country running, right? So the debt ceiling mm-hmm. is an artificial ceiling saying we can't spend over X amount. And it's $31 trillion or whatever ungodly number there is. So unless you vote to raise the debt ceiling, which is why the Republicans uh, set a vote, is because they wanted to control it where, well, we, we don't want to vote. We're going to let the government default, which could be bad for U.S. Treasuries. It could be bad for uh, U.S. government services like the post office, where if there's no money flowing, operations do need to cease, which is kind of weird if you think about it, because we pay for a lot of these services like post office and and other federal and state programs that that probably don't need to have a debt limit per se, because they are money money making entities. But this weird quirk and how we vote on the budget and the deficit, it's it, it Republicans are able to put a stranglehold on the country spending. So uh, no matter which side you fall on, I think this is uh, pretty unnecessary, right? And we should tackle spending in more responsible ways. But this is how Republicans uh, feel like they are in, in control. So the last it time seems this like this happens as this has year, happened in yeah. the past. It's always it's always the opposite party, and there's always just trying to get a quick negotiation there. So if it's yeah. in this case, it's Republicans saying like, "Nope, we won't raise the debt ceiling unless you give us this," and it's sort of a stalemate until that thing is honored, and then the debt ceiling does in fact go up. And we've seen the reverse too, right? We've seen Democrats hold out on this as well, saying, "Nope, we won't sign a, a increase in 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 the debt ceiling until you give us this." And so this is really just a chess game of Who's the president? What's their party? And then the the other side. Um, if you were to go back into history, you've seen this happen a number of times. So it doesn't really matter who's in office. It, no. it, it's always the other yeah. party that's trying to get something. It's policy, because, right? Yeah, because both parties have to vote <laughs> to approve this. So it's yeah. a good chance to say, you know, we're going to shut off your water here soon. So you better give us this to keep it on. Yeah. And the last time it really came to a head was in 2011. Uh, the market mm. did sink 16% from peak to trough, but the market did recover. Uh, if you got good memory, the S&P Global actually downgraded U.S. debt. So they actually essentially mm-hmm. made um, paying back those treasuries much more expensive in terms of a, a yield. Again, mm. the U.S. could probably just print money and pay that thing off, but it did have an impact on stocks. Uh, bonds, not so much. Um, and so if you're... You're thinking of that a bond sell-off will happen because of this. It really did not happen. Um, bonds did not miss a beat, even in the face of the the um, in the face of the downgrade. That's because they, at the time, were a nice buffer to the stock sell-off. So, stocks ended the year at two percent up, which is 
pretty good when um, you think about a 16% drop in the summer. So you recovered 16% losses in six months, but at the same time, bonds were up 7.7% in the year. So that means bonds were doing what bonds were supposed to be doing. And that's what the expectation we have this year too, is bonds have quite a bit more cushion because yields are finally out of the basement. They're probably on the second floor. They're not on the uh, sky rise yet, but or the suite level, but they're, they're going to be able to insulate um, if we do get any kind of political gamesmanship that impact the markets. So far, you know, the debt ceiling was hit Thursday, yesterday. So far, the market has not blinked. Um, mm -hmm. So, so this this could be a nothing burger, like politicians love to say, or you could forget political headlines in geopolitics and in your investing. Because if you look at it, the people that are playing this game, the politicians in Congress, I'm willing to bet they own stocks and bonds. Do they of really want to hurt their own nest egg? And yeah, maybe they do. Maybe some of them have already sold out, knowing that this battle's going to heat up, which is highly, highly illegal. Um, but again, we'll see what the SEC says about it. Probably, <laughs> I I don't want to really trash the SEC because they do they do look at us. But um, that's something that we can watch for because there is a um, politician trade tracker that you could follow, and you could see all their trades, and they all own lots of stock because they're. Most, most members of Congress and the Senate, um, the House and the Senate, are actually really wealthy. Mm -hmm. So for them to play this game, they're, they're hurting themselves if if they impact the markets with their um, pol politics here. I guess that's good news, right? So if if I'm hearing, it's kind of like the, the, the comments on, you know, layoffs at the tech level. It, it's not great as an employee, but as a shareholder... You know, yeah, the market's yeah. up today, but some of these companies that have announced layoffs, they're also up the day that they announced the layoff because the market yeah, says, up oh, maybe 4%. we're, yeah. there you go. Maybe we're a little bit more profitable now. And so the, the company goes up. And so you, you kind of, if you think about that in the world of politics, you know, if, if I own the majority of my net worth in many of these stocks, um, but I'm also, <clears throat> you know, holding out a standout to, to try to not raise the debt ceiling, how long can I really go before it hurts my own personal finances? And so in a weird way, that's actually good news for everybody because you know that eventually there will be a negotiation. Well, their interests are aligned with the market's interests, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be crazy to to induce a bear market, which, again, I doubt it. You came back to – I want to come back to something you said there. So uh, default it is is – if we don't raise the debt ceiling, are we at risk of default or are we at risk of government shutdown? So uh, 2011 was both. So the risk of default uh, caused the the credit downgrade to U.S. Treasuries, which uh -huh. essentially made it from like AAA rated to AA and a half. It was it mm -hmm. wasn't a huge, mm -hmm. but it was a it was one notch. Yeah, and if you increase the yield on trillions of dollars, that's a ton of money in just interest changes, right? So that that was the the risk of default, the downgrade cost. The government shutdown was because, yeah, the, the funding, the debt ceiling was breached or maxed out. So if you have a credit card, you can't buy more clothes out Nordstrom, right. right? And if you got government employees, um, which bringing back an old term furlough 
like if the furloughs had to happen, right? We can't, we can't pay you. We can't because we can't operate because we're not getting right. money from Washington D.C. I think right. so. There's two semi-related things. So the government shut down because we couldn't get more money, and then two, the the, the risk of default because we couldn't get money to pay previous previous debt back. Because yeah. yeah, because we do run a deficit, so we do need money to be issued to pay the interest payments, and so that's yeah. why the debt ceiling is both. Yep. Got it. And the IRS, right? We're coming up on April. If the IRS isn't funded, we can't file taxes or I, I'm pretty sure they'll keep the IRS open for that reason, but you know what I mean? Like a revenue generating entity would most likely have to stop or furlough a lot of key employees for for one of the key seasons of the the, the, the year. Yeah, because they, they turn it down to, you know, whatever they call it, the key employees or key yeah. key services or vital services or something like that, that they Yeah, I'm pretty sure IRS funded. is, yeah, key. It's key, but that I'm just using Probably. an example of what yeah. could judge out. Yeah. Okay. Lastly, according to Goldman Sachs, Europe will not hit a recession. This is somewhat surprising <laughs> because uh, they seem to be, uh, well, struggling oil prices being high and inflation and reliance on uh, Russian oil. So let's expand on that a little bit. Why, why are they coming out and changing their view now and saying Europe might actually escape recession? Yeah. When I saw that article you sent, um, I initially said transitory because um, <laughs> a couple of things that were cited there that I was like, it was a uh, first was abnormally warm weather. And last time I checked, we're still in the midst of winter and things, as we all know, right? Um, the U.S. just survived a cyclone bomb, right, in the Midwest and cold areas where it dipped negative, And then it came out, right? Uh, that's not to say the reverse can't happen with warm weather, right? <laughs> so one of the things cited was unseasonably warm weather and the use of natural gas came down as a result, right? You don't need to heat your home when it's 60 degrees out, you're yep. fine. But weather's weather. I The last time I checked, the weather doesn't stay 60 degrees all the time in, in the dead of winter. And if it does get cold again, do they change? I don't, maybe not, but that's encouraging that the, as a result the European uh, performance relative to the U.S. and a lot of people don't know this it actually did a lot better. Mm -hmm. So, in the last year, Europe beat U.S. by um, nearly six percent. That's then, a lot. Yeah, since October. Yeah, it's beat them since. Since October, Europe has beaten S&P by 3%, closing the, and again, that's one of the biggest run-ups in a three-month period. I've, I can remember it's because people like Goldman are stamping that the recession is over in Europe, and I, I would be careful about that, but at the same time, it, it shows you why you keep at allocations or keep um, investments in places that you don't feel so great about because things like that happen. They surprise, right? And that's what diversification is. So right. don't trade the headlines. 
Yeah. What so, did I say? I heard this recently. The media has accurately predicted 20 out of the last 10 recessions. Yeah. It's like, yep, of course. Maybe even 30 out of the last 10. So this yeah, is no, no different. I'm kind of coming around on that because as, a, as someone who writes pretty regularly and trying to find topics to write about, it seems that if there's no bad news, it's actually been tougher to write, admittedly. Mm-hmm. And if there's no bad news in your job as a writer for a CNN, for example, what are you going to do? You're going to, you're probably going to nudge people towards, Hey, recession's coming. Mm-hmm. But Goldman, Goldman did create a quite, quite a few headlines by writing this because they were so against the grain because we do, we do watch uh, quite a few research firms. It's like 90% are calling for a recession. Yeah. Well, and, and the main point is that they said natural gas prices have fallen back to September 2021 levels. That's big. Yeah. Yeah. That's big. That's because demand went way down, right? Demand went but, down. Yep. Yeah. Yep. If it's weather related, I probably wouldn't put too much on that, but they have other reasons. It's just uh, when you think the obvious is going to happen, we have a weird way of proving everyone wrong. Yeah. Well, I think they're actually, because they're not as reliant on Russian oil anymore. They've been able to to build other trade partners. Reroute, I believe yeah. the, I believe the U.S. is one of those for specifically for natural gas. And so, you know, if there's additional exports that are going into Europe that are providing a lower cost product, that's also helped lower, lower prices. So, you know, maybe that does, maybe that does, maybe they they escape recession. I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And if they have, they got their soft landing because um, at this point, their inflation is at 9.1% as of the last reading. That's two percent higher than the U.S. So is that an, annualized or, or month over yeah, month? Yeah, it's annualized. Yeah, yeah. Our, You're I know we're bugging. You're killing me. Um, it's actually a negative month over month rating because their Thank peak you. was yeah their peak was eleven percent in the summer when See? our peak was nine point one percent. But yeah, ours has come down from nine point one to seven. Theirs has gone down from eleven to nine point one. So inflation is coming down. Ours is um, annualized at 0.3 for everyone, so it's actually only 3.6, so uh, <laughs> not as bad as the media says it is. Yeah, and if we're using the same type of measurements where I'm measuring March 2023 of March 2022, remember March 2022 was climbing? We're going to measure March 2023 averages over 22. Mm-hmm. That should actually, by that rationale, we should show negatives pretty soon. Mm-hmm. But we all know you know, that month over month is probably the better way to look at things mm-hmm. and specifically looking at eggs, right? <laughs> Just focus on eggs and you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, uh, that's year over year. Uh, they do have a ways to go in taming that though, Europe, taming that inflation. But that's because they have what a strike in, in uh, supply chain workers. I think it was, is a uh, ports in England. They they want to strike rail strikes um, similar to here, so their union representation is actually a little bit more uh, healthy than the U.S. because uh, mm-hmm. they have just a lot more old war old world industries that are running there, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think they got a ways to go. I wouldn't say inflation's out of the or uh, recession's out of the cards because I think recession's the best medicine for high inflation. Even though the month over month numbers are improving, that the level of prices is still too high. If that makes sense. 
We've been saying this a long time. The fastest way to heal this is if we do officially, by whatever definition, fall into recession. That does probably mean more layoffs because this job market is so insanely strong. Um, layoffs, by the way, are, are really centered in, in the tech industry, which I know is a lot of our clients and listeners. But when you look at other industries, there's not nearly as many layoffs. So recessions typically are layoffs across the board versus in a single single industry. So you know, the economy is actually really strong because of it. Yeah. And that's likely how we've avoided recession to this point. But if we do fall into recession, people stop spending, that brings inflation down and we can correct this thing very quickly. So the R word will be celebrated by the media, but you know, are we actually closer to the end? I've said this for a while too, in a, in a kind of weird twisted way. I think if we do officially fall into recession, the market might actually go up because the market will view it as we're closer to the end than we are at the beginning and we're through the middle. And uh, a lot of this is what's called priced in. So how you talked about how emerging markets and international markets have actually done really well in the face of otherwise really bad news yeah, is because yeah. the previous returns were pricing in even worse news than is right now. And that's really how markets work. It's how stocks work. Um, many of these big tech companies are now considered value companies, which we defined this a, a few episodes ago. But a value company is a undervalued stock. Yeah. It's Facebook. It's Netflix right now. Exactly. And you, I mean, Meta jumped off of like an 80 or $83, 52 week low to, I think they were 120, 130 at this point. I mean, that's, that's a lot. That's a big swing. So, you know, it, it's, it's when markets price in a worse than actual outcome, then you see positive returns. So uh, I think this year is going to be very interesting. I think the next three to six months is going to be interesting as news shakes out and hopefully starts to get a little bit better news. Eh, I should say economic data. Then then that should hopefully propel us a little bit forward. Um, yeah. I like to say that what are you going to tell the market that it already doesn't know? Right. Cause you're competing against the likes of the Goldman's and the black rocks and yada, 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 but also every single retail trader in the entire world that's trading in the U S markets or global markets, right? Mm -hmm. Like, who saw this European rebound coming, it, which is already occurring, right? Like it's already months old. Did you see it when, like, it surprised me when I looked back at the data. I didn't see it in the moment, even as it's happening. And where was the green light here? Where was the go ahead and let's go invest in Europe, right? It's never a green light. Yeah, the news was super, super negative there. So to assume that you can beat the market that way. It's just folly. It's just really tough. Well, in the last chart here that we can cover the S and P I'm looking at a chart of the S and P 500 since 1980. It's only been negative two years in a row once since 1980. And that was after to the, end the year. Yeah. To end the year. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. During so the year, yeah, we have all kinds of weird stuff going on. Yeah. Can't, yeah. During the year average drawdown is about 15%. So you can, you can, expect uh, to see at any point in the year when you log in an average of a 15% decline. Last year's decline at, at the bottom was 25, finished the year minus 19. So there's a pullback, pull up, that is, um, you know, from the lows in October. And we're up a couple of percent year to date. But when I look at the three years actually that were negative in a row, it was after the tech rack. And then the market was positive for a while after that. But um, yeah, only one, one year followed by, I don't even know the average here, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, six to eight years of positive returns. 
Yeah. Not a prediction. Couldn't, you know, might not happen, but we know that the market generally 32 out of 43 of the years that are on my screen is positive. Yeah. Well, we're only up 2%, but Europe and emerging market are up 7% and 8.44% respectively. So Look at that. you got to own a little bit of everything. You got to own it all. Yeah. Okay. Good deal. Well, that's all the time we have today. Thanks everyone that's joining us and we will catch you again in a, about two weeks.